Well, good morning, Mosaic. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at the church, and I've had the honor in leading us through this series, this four-week series called The Good Life. This is week four for us. This is our last week. Uh, the Good Life. Nebraska promises us the good life. Jesus says a life that is connected to him is a life that's lived to its fullest. How do we step into that reality? Uh, see, we're convinced that in order to step into that reality, in order to inherit the good life, uh, we need to live for the good of others. Jesus says in the book of Matthew chapter 16, whoever loses their life will find it. So today is our final week, uh, and you guys had a question. The question is, kids are blank. What was that blank for you guys? Hilarious. Yeah, yeah. What else? Messy. Messy. Dope. Joyful spirits. An incredible gift. Expensive. Yeah. Sweet till college. One more. They're worth it. They're worth it. Well, the correct answer that you guys were looking for was kids are the worst. Right? It's like, seriously, kids, why are their noses always running? Like, their noses are always red, always running. They always have slime everywhere. Uh, kids are very narcissistic. They don't care about you. They only care about themselves. You give me my chocolate milk, otherwise the toys are going everywhere. Right? Or you give me that bag of Skittles, or I'm going to scream in the store for 20 minutes straight just to embarrass you. And why are kids always sticky? Right? Like, you could give a kid a bath, Give him a saltine cracker, and then five minutes later, he's like a sticky mess. It's like, how did this even happen? Kids, they're the worst, but we love them, right? We just have such a huge heart for kids. Uh, I I remember for me, like, I've never really liked kids that much, especially in my 20s. I remember Nicole, whenever she would have a new niece or nephew born, she'd say, oh my goodness, isn't my niece just the cutest thing ever? And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, it's just like a puffy, swollen, red little gremlin. Like, like kids are not cute when they're first born. Admit it, except your own. Your own are the cutest. And I remember the day for me, it's like a switch flipped in my brain. I remember the day I'm standing over this little boy and something changed in my brain. See, a lot of you know my story, but not many people do. Uh, My wife, Nicole, and I, we can't have biological kids, and so we got connected to this birth mom, and she knew that the best thing that she could, the best choice she could make for her child was to place him in our care. And so I remember me and Nicole standing in the hospital, and Nicole looks at me and says, you can hold him first. And my brain changed. My brain changed. And they've actually done studies on this, that guys' brains change when they see their kids. Uh, they did studies where they would map a, a man's brain a couple weeks before the kids were born, and then they would look at it again after the kid was born. And they saw significant changes happening in their brain. So what they saw is they saw a lot more activity happening uh, specifically in the, the parts of the brain that control our emotional processing, parts of the brain that control our, uh, our memory and our decision-making, right? Because our emotions are heightened. Like we're creating these memories. And then also what they saw is that the parts of the brain that control anxiety, 
began to get reduced when they see their kids. It's probably why new dads take their infants and they throw them like 30 feet in the air, right? We love it. Every dad on the planet loves it. And moms are like, what are you doing? Stop throwing the kid in the air. Why is it worth the risk? Uh, And then also our hormone level changes. So uh, when a father becomes a father and he sees his newborn son, uh, his levels of oxytocin spikes. And if you remember back in February, we did our love and relationship series. And we talked about oxytocin. It's the cuddle hormone. It's the hormone in us that wants to, uh, that wants to get close, that wants to cuddle, that wants to form a bond, wants to form an attachment uh, to our kids through physical touch. And those hormones are spiked. So a father's brain changes when they see their kids. Um, and the reality of the world that we live in today is not every man is ready to be a father. Not every man is ready to be a father. And even as I was looking at some of those studies, I wonder if even part of the fathers in the world today who avoid seeing their kids, it's part of it is they don't want to see their kids because they know their brains are going to change and they don't want their brains to change. Uh, that's just my own theory, randomly, that I thought of. But I wonder... And the reality of the world that we live in today is not every woman is ready to be a mother. And so we're left in this place where we live in a world that is filled with orphans. Filled with orphans. And when you think about the problems of the world, think about who's affected the most. So poverty, homelessness, addiction, incarceration. Out of all those problems that we face in our world today, who is most vulnerable Who is most at risk for being hurt long-term? It's kids. It's kids. And so when I hear verses like James that Nicole read, James 1.27 that says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. See, this is where we should pay attention because James is being very dramatic here. Very dramatic. He says, It's to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I've always loved the book of James because I feel like it puts flesh to faith. I remember when I first decided to follow Jesus, I was about 12 years old. And what everyone told me to do is they said, read your Bible, study scripture, go to church gatherings, listen, sing songs, journal. And it seemed like all these intellectual introverted activities. And so I did it. And these are good things, but I always felt like something was missing. I always felt like it was like eating eggs without salt. This is good, but it's missing something. And the book of James, for me, just, it it makes my heart explode because I feel like it puts flesh to faith. And I feel like what James is very clearly communicating to us here today is that the church, the church is God's plan A for the problems of orphans in the world today. The church is plan A, God's plan A. Uh, The Hebrew word for orphan is the word yatam. And yatam actually can be translated fatherless. And so in this day and age, uh, if a woman, if her husband dies or her husband leaves her, they would consider that child an orphan. They would call that child an orphan. Women in that day and age, they weren't as power, empowered as they are today to be single moms. So when we see this passage, what we see is 
Look after the orphans and the widows. Look after these kids and look after those single moms. And so really the burning question that we need to ask ourselves today is, what are we as a church doing about the fatherless and the single moms? We could do a whole message, we could do a whole sermon on single moms, and we're not going to focus on that today. I think we should sometime in the future, but how do we deal with the problem in the world of orphans, of orphans? How do we step into that? Uh, And it's easy to read a passage of scripture like this and hear the word orphans and think kids somewhere else, isn't it? It's easy to think about kids in Africa or kids in Asia, uh, and we don't always think about America because we don't call are orphans orphans, and we don't call things orphanages. We call them group homes. We call them foster homes. And so I was, uh, and so the reality that we need to sort of realize today is that there are far more Christians in the world today than there are kids without a home. There are far more Christians that live in the United States of America than there are kids in our foster care system. Kids who are waiting to be adopted in our system today. And man, I believe that God is going to do something in our hearts today. I believe God is going to do something in your heart today too. I believe he's going to stir some hearts and stir some lives so that we can step in and do exactly what James is telling us, that what pure religion looks like is to care for the orphans. So, some quick stats that I want to sort of give us on foster care, right? So, we have some slides about the orphans that live in America today. So, in America, this was done in, uh, according to a 2010 census, 402,000 kids in foster care. And out of that 402,000, uh, over 100,000 of those are children who are up for adoption. Uh, and even that, that number, 100,000 kids up for adoption, that's a very complicated number, very, very complicated because some of those kids are currently in foster homes and they're actually processing towards uh, adoption. A lot of those kids are probably living in group homes, 16, 17, 18 years old, getting ready to age out of the system. Uh, That is a very complicated number, uh, especially. Uh, Some other things, if we can go to the next slide. So this is a profile of of the kids who are in foster care. Um, You know, you look at the races who are in foster care, and those are pretty accurate to what the races are uh, in America. We can go to the next slide. Um, Foster families. So this was a really interesting one to me. Uh, So there's 184,000 households that have at least one foster kid. Uh, And one one part that I thought was really kind of intriguing was uh, the number of children younger than 18 in a household. Households of three or more kids in the house under 18 years old. 50% 50% of homes that have foster kids have three or more kids in the house, uh, where households without foster kids are around 21%, three or more kids in the house. Uh, the mean household income is 56000 whereas uh, mean household income for houses without are 74000 We can go to the next one. Uh, yeah, this was also an interesting one. So 15% of households that have foster kids uh, live off of food stamps. Uh, and 15%, probably that same 15%, are living below the poverty line. Um, so you don't need to be rich to be a foster parent, that's for sure. Uh, we can go to the next one. This one was, is really, really kind of hard to see and hard to read because 
we look at some of the realities of kids who've been in the foster care system, and especially kids who age out of the foster care system. So guys who age out of the foster care system are four times more likely to commit a crime. Women are 10 times more likely to commit a crime. Uh, Five times more likely to develop post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, This one's pretty shocking. So about 25% of youth who age out of the foster care system within four years are homeless. One in four kids who age out are going to be homeless within four years. Uh, In 2012, only 48% of male former foster youth were employed. So I think it's safe for us to say, based on all these statistics, is we have a problem, right? We have a big, big problem. So what can we do as a church to step into these problems today? Because I believe uh, that we can step into it. And I believe that we as a church can uh, change a lot of the numbers that are represented here. And the thing about looking at these numbers and looking at these statistics is it's really easy to see someone with a cardboard cardboard sign and criticize. It's really easy to see someone who's addicted and to judge them. Those things are easy. What's hard is to actually look at who that person is, put yourself in their shoes, and ask yourself the question, what have they gone through? What have they seen? What, What have they experienced throughout their life that has caused them to live this way. Um, my, my wife, Nicole, and I, we decided about a year ago that we were going to step into some foster care stuff. And so we went through all the trainings and we were waiting for a while. Um, one of the cool things about Lincoln is there's actually more foster families who are waiting for placement than there are kids in the system right now. Uh, that is for probably kids under the age of 12 years old. Um, But not every household is open to everything because you have varying levels of trauma in a lot of these kids. And so we got a phone call and they said, we have this seven-year-old boy and no one will take him. Like we don't have anywhere for this kid to go. Uh, Can he stay in your house for two weeks and then we're going to take him to this treatment facility? And so we said, okay. Uh, And he came into our house and he was a tornado. He was, absolutely. And so the first night, we were sitting in uh, our bedroom reading books to him and my son Manny, and he kept putting this really tiny toy in his mouth. And I was like, can you please not put that toy in your mouth? Because I didn't want him to choke on his first night there and take a trip to the emergency room. And so I'm like, please don't put that toy in your mouth. And about the fifth time he did it, what do you do when kids don't listen and they keep doing something you're asking him not to do? You say, if you don't stop doing that, I'm going to take the toy away, right? So I said that to him, and there was just an explosion like I had never really seen before. Like, it was, it was like I had taken his most precious gift away. And what I didn't realize was I kind of did take his most precious gift away. I threatened to because that was actually the only toy that he brought into our house. And he doesn't know that he's going to get that back. He doesn't know that I'm just going to take it for a moment and when maybe the next day I'm going to give it back to him. He doesn't know that. All he knows is I'm taking this precious gift away from him. And it triggered his trauma and he just began to act out in really violent ways. And man, it was, it's been so nice for me, Nicole, because we went through such good training 
and we have, we're connected to so many people in our life that uh, are great foster parents where we knew this isn't a behavior. This is the trauma that we're seeing. And it broke our hearts. This little seven-year-old boy, right? This little boy who's so smart and so funny. This little boy who's so strong and so athletic. This little boy who sings and dances better than I could ever dream of doing is set up to fail in life because no one is willing to take a risk on him. Not one person was willing to take a risk on this kid. His life is a tornado, and it's no wonder that his life was a tornado. And this is one kid who lives in our city of Lincoln. This is just one kid out of the 5,000 kids who are in foster care in Lincoln right now. Uh, The thing that I love about foster parents is, uh, are there any foster parents in the house, actually? Anyone? No? But the thing I love about foster parents is they all have the same sort of like crazed look in their eyes, right? It's kind of like the comic where you see the guy sitting at his desk and his office is on fire and the caption reads, this is okay, I'm okay, right? Because that's the life of a foster parent is it's crazy, it's insane, it's a mess, it's a struggle. And the reality of this today is not everyone is called to be a foster parent. Like my goal today isn't to try to convict every single one of you in this room to go out today and to get certified and start doing foster care because that's not the reality and that's not the truth of it. But I do believe that we can all be a part of doing something. But I do believe that there's some in this room today that will step into that reality. And I hope and pray that there is at least one or two or three of you families that are willing to say yes because And when you do say yes to foster care, what me and Nicole have seen in our very short stint is, one, it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do, but two, those kids, they're worth it. They're worth it. They really are. See, the reality is that we're not all called, and that's okay, and we need to accept that that's okay. But that, to me, is, it's the genius of the church, It's the genius of the body of Christ that we all share these unique gifts. We all share these unique abilities. And so really today, I'm just wondering, like, there's some of us that I hope would say yes to being a part of this problem of orphans who are in America. Some of us are going to be inspired to support and love other foster parents. Some of us are going to be inspired to volunteer at group homes or become a para, which is basically an advocate for that kid who creates a little bit of stability in the midst of an unstable life. Uh, Some of you will use your jobs, your influence, uh, lawyers that can change some of these laws because the foster care system is very dysfunctional. Some of you in here are social workers Uh, who are working with foster kids every single day. I know that because I've had those conversations with people in our community. See, because what we need to realize is that we as a body, we can actually do something together. We can actually do something collectively. And this is something that I feel like we need to step into as a church. I feel like when we say we want to live the good life, right? We want people to live the good life man, let's start living for the good of the orphans who live in our city. Let's step into that reality. And I know it's hard. And I know like the foster care system is screwed up. I've had multiple friends tell me, don't do it. People who have actually done it before because I had a family, really close family friends. They had a little girl that they brought home from the hospital. They had her in their house for two years. 
They began to process adoption paperwork, and then they came and they took this child out of their house, and they've never seen her again. And that happened 15 years ago, and those wounds are still so fresh that when they tell you the story, they weep. They weep still to this day. I had another friend who he grew up in a house where they had about 20, 30 foster kids come through. And for him as a kid, these kids are coming to his house, living there for a year, two, three years. These are his brothers and his sisters. And then all of a sudden his brothers and his sisters are gone. And he told me, don't do it. Don't do it. And I understand the difficulty of this. And I understand that there, it is not a perfect system. It is a flawed system. But what are we to do with the 400,000 kids who are in foster care? One in 184 kids who live in America are in foster care. What are we to do? Some of us are really to actually love and care for those kids. Some of us are called to change some of the laws so that all that really bad stuff doesn't happen. Some of us are called to all these different things, but I do believe the words of James. He says the church is God's plan A, to care for the orphans who live in America, to care for the orphans who live in our city. I believe it, and I believe that we can actually step into that reality today. Why? Right? Because God has this deep desire for adoption. Uh, I love what it says in Psalm 68, verse 5. It says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. I'm sure James was very familiar with this psalm when he penned those words in James. That this is the character of God. Right? This is the character of God. Who is God? God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. So if that's the character of God, what is the character of God's people? And then it says, God sets the lonely in families. God sets the lonely in families. I wonder how many of us in this room today will say, I want to be that solution. I want to be that family that God sets the lonely in. I want to be a father to the fatherless. I want to be a defender of widows, whether they're 80 years old or 30 years old. Those single moms. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, I love this. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God decided in advance to adopt us, to adopt us. See, God isn't just passionate about the orphans. He's passionate about you. And so I know there's many of you who are in this room today, and maybe you feel like an orphan. Maybe you feel like you're not accepted. Maybe you feel like you need family. You need people in your life. Maybe you feel like a spiritual orphan. See, the, the genius of the church, right, is that God, when he adopts us into his family, when we say yes to what Jesus did on the cross, we are adopted into the family of God. We are called sons and daughters of the king. And then we can be adopted into a spiritual family called our church, called our home. We can be adopted into the family here and now, today, at Mosaic. Uh, it was about a year ago, one of the gentlemen in our church, A-Rob, 
uh, he found himself kicked out of his house. He had nowhere to go, a little bit of money in his account, no car, didn't know what to do. And then Cindy Conger actually picked him up that night and took him to her house and let him spend the night there. And then over the course of the next six to eight months, uh, A-Rob, he spent time in uh, five different Mosaic family homes to be able to say, you know what, we want to support you as our family now because he found himself without a family. I mean, I'm convinced that without the church, man, I don't know where A-Rob would be today. And we've had this conversation many times. Very easily, very likely that he could have ended up jobless because the public transportation system here in Lincoln is not the best, right? And if you don't work a nine-to-five job, you can't get a bus after six o'clock. So when you work at a convenience store uh, and you get off at 10 o'clock, how are you supposed to get home without paying 20, 30 bucks for a taxi? Right, so I'm convinced A-Rob probably would have found himself in the mission and then probably would have found himself missing a couple shifts and probably would have found himself getting fired. And then what does he do if he doesn't have a support structure? What do people do when they don't have a support structure? It just falls apart. See, God is pro-family. God is about adopting us into family so that we can have this spiritual family. So that when we're down, they pick us up. They're here for us. They're there for us. And I love A-Rob's story, and I wonder how many of us in this room resonate with that. And we feel like we don't have people in our life. We feel like we don't have a strong support system. We don't feel connected in that way. And so really my question to all of us in this room today is who are we adopting into our family? Because maybe it's not an orphan. Maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it's not about adopting internationally, but maybe it's about the person who's maybe even sitting right next to you right now. But really the question is, who are you adopting into your family? Because God is pro-adoption. God adopts us into his family so that we will adopt others into our family. Uh, so that, that little boy was, who was in mine and Nicole's home uh, he got sent to the treatment facility after a couple weeks, and we began to ask him questions, well, what's going to happen? And we kept getting answers like, well, we don't know. And we said, well, where's he going to go after the treatment center? And they said, we don't know. And we said, well, like, that doesn't seem like a good answer, right? Like, where is he going to go? Who's going to visit him? We don't know. And so me and Nicole, we really just kind of said, you know what, even though if on paper, like, we are not considered his foster parents. We're just going to keep visiting him. And maybe when he gets out of this treatment center, the state will choose to send him to our home. There's no guarantees, but we hope, we long for that. Uh, it has been the opposite of an easy journey, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, about a week ago, we had a really, really bad visit with him. Um, and it ended up like we had to leave and he had to be restrained and it was so heartbreaking. It broke my heart. And the week before that, Nicole went to go visit him, just her, and uh, they were having a good time. And then all of a sudden, he just he began acting out, and he began to say things like, I miss my mom. I miss my mom. I miss my mom. The state hates my mom. The state hates my mom. And this boy who is so broken, and I remember I was driving home, and it was thundering, it was raining, 
Uh, you could barely see on the freeway. And I felt this is very appropriate because the weather outside feels like the weather in my soul. And I thought, man, I'm just broken for this kid. And all of a sudden, the clouds parted and the sun came through. And there was a little bit of a rainbow to my left. And then all of a sudden, the clouds began to glow purple and red and gold. And then it stopped raining. And uh, you know, just after it rains, how everything becomes like crystal clear. Everything becomes more vibrant. All the colors just seem to pop. The greens are more green. The reds are more reds. And it clicked in my brain. It clicked. The earth is more beautiful after a storm. When it's sunny for three, four weeks, it just seems to be dusty in the air. It seems to be bland. But after a rain, everything becomes more beautiful. And my life and my journey is that my greatest tragedy became my greatest blessing when I received the gift of my son. And it clicked in my head. It was, man, for that young boy's life, his greatest tragedy, I hope and I pray that our family can become his greatest blessing. And I wonder for you, like who can you be a blessing to in the midst of their greatest tragedy to? And maybe you're here today and you feel like your life is a storm. Maybe you feel like your life is a tornado and you're just waiting for the clouds to break. I would say, don't go through the storm alone. Don't go through the storm alone. God desperately wants to adopt you into his family. When we call on the name of Jesus, when we, when we break through sin and we confess those sins uh, in the name of Jesus, because Jesus died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and we could share this community, this adoption, and we could be around the table with God. So for you today, maybe the decision you need to make is to say, God, I want to be adopted into your family. Or maybe for you today, the decision is, I want to be adopted into this physical, spiritual family called Mosaic. I want to commit to this. I want to be a part of this. I don't want to just observe, but I want to be a part of the family. And that's why what we're doing next week, it's not just to take a break. It's to be intentional and to spend time in each, in, in each other's homes, to get to know each other. Why? So that when things happen, we can step in. So that we become family, not just acquaintances on a Sunday. And I know it's easy to hear a message like this and say, man, I'm kind of stressed out because we've covered a lot of ground the past four weeks. You know, it's like week one, we got to care for our neighbors. Week two, we got to relieve people with their basic needs. Week three, we need to empower the poor, not just give them a handout, but give them a handout and empower them. And now we got to care for foster kids. Like, that's a lot of stuff to do. That's like three full-time jobs, right? But that is the genius of the church, is that not all of us are going to be called to each one of these specific things, but collectively as a community, the 300 people that come to Mosaic every Sunday, we can cover a lot of ground. We can do a lot more, and we could be a part of the hope and healing of so many people in our great city of Lincoln. And so I wonder today for you, what is that germ in your brain? What's that thing in your head that you just can't get out? What's that thing that you need to say yes to today? Because that's probably the voice of God pulling you. And all you need to do is have the courage to say yes. Let's pray together. 
I love the verse that Nicole read at the beginning. And so just to close out, I just want to read that. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then he calls the little children to him, and he placed the child among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like the little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Welcomes me. May we welcome Jesus into our family. May you think of that person in your life that you know you need to adopt into your life, into your family. And may we have the courage to say yes to that today. God, I can feel you doing a lot of work in the lives that are here in this room right now. God, I pray that your voice will become so loud in our souls. I pray that we will become convinced of that thing that you were calling us to say yes to. God, give us the courage to say yes and give us the peace to understand that we cannot do everything. Jesus, I'm also convinced that there's those in this room today that need to say yes to being adopted into your family, that need the courage to say, Jesus, I know you died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. I pray for forgiveness. I pray for that guilt and shame to be released so that I can be invited around your table, not just now, but for eternity. God, we pray for the 4,000 plus orphans, those kids who are in foster care in Lincoln. God, we pray for the 400,000 kids that are in foster care right now in the United States of America. We pray for all those single moms who are struggling. We pray for all those moms who are pregnant and they just don't know what to do. Pray for the millions of orphans all around the world. And God, our simple prayer is, how can you use us? Inspire our thoughts, inspire our hearts, and move in our souls today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.